Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined once again by my childhood friend, Christopher Dow. Pour yourself a long, tall glass of icy cold water. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Oh, you caught me off guard, sorry. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week, we have our number 82s. But before we do that, guys, you know what it's time for. Yes. It's time for the quiz. I'm trailing miserably. You are not, well, I mean, two points is not miserable, Chris. In the grand scheme of things, we, ha- we haven't done that much, and two points is actually quite a large percentage, isn't it? As a percentage, it, you're probably right. But <laughs> think of it this way. Get this next one right, and you won't feel as bad. That's the mission. In which year was the Sega Genesis first released? 92. Mm, 89. I'm going to give the points to Chris. The correct hey. answer is 1988. Whoa. But oh. it is, uh, I, I, you are the closest. So Chris has brought it back to 9-8 to Minty. Well done. So what have we been playing this week, Minty? Oh, well, I had a little bit of eShop credit to have a little bit of a splurge on. So I bought two games. One was on your recommendation, which was, of course, the masterwork dead cells oh yes i'm so glad i'm so glad (laughs) what a super game like i'm nowhere near as far or as good at it as you but i'm still having a really lovely time i think i've 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 hit over 120 hours now so that's insane Mm, i just wow i've beaten it once but from talking to you and sort of just playing it after that i realized that this is a game that does not stop there it is succulent and stuffed and full to the brim. Like a pepper. Yeah, <laughs> like a stuffed capsicum. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really good. I also bought, the, on the back of enjoying the demo for Valkyria Chronicles 4, I bought Valkyria Chronicles 1 because it was £25 cheaper. <laughs> that's quite a saving. Yeah. I only stopped playing it because in halfway through the tutorial level, where you finally get to control a tank, my character missed, and instead of hitting the tank, it blew up the thing I was meant to be protecting. Oh no, that is what can only be described as a tremendous boo-boo. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they had the audacity to have the main character look sad. It was your fault. I aimed at the uh, the glowy the tank's glowy butt, but you mm. decided to hit the bridge. Ooh. I was not happy. Chris, what have you been playing this week? In the last week, I've been playing a mobile game that I I sort of bought a couple of years back and have recently repurchased. And it was inspired by watching Stranger Things for the first time. Ah. Um, So I'm a few years late to the party on that one. I'm enjoying it. You know, the show show's been a fun watch. Uh, but what I really like is the the kind of synth wave soundtrack that goes through oh, it all. Yeah, it's it's darn good. Yeah, and hearing that, it reminded me that this game that I've been playing called Pinout, it's basically an an endless runner, but pinball. Uh, and the whole thing is wrapped in a weird like eighties neon synth wave type aesthetic. An endless runner, but pinball. Mm. So you, you just endlessly play upwards, like the tables just keep oh, moving upwards. Okay. And the, the soundtrack is fantastic. The, sound, the soundtrack is like a full synthwave, synthpop album, essentially, that kind of like builds up as you play. And it's one that I, I bought the album itself on vinyl before I'd even played the game, because I sort of heard it mentioned somewhere else a couple of years back. But it was one that completely escaped my sort of 
consciousness until seeing Stranger Things just reminded me of that sort of look and feel. Had a bit of a crazy week in terms of the amount of games I've been playing. I've continued playing Dead Cells, although very hard mode is proving too hard, if anything. And I think the, <laughs> the build that I was going with, it absolutely rinses normal mode. Like, I think I'd actively have to try and lose to, to not be a run on normal mode now it wasn't brilliant for hard mode and when i thought back actually the build i used to beat hard mode was not that build at all it was just another one that seemed to work quite well so i think i'm gonna have to revisit my strategy maybe look at shields which i haven't really got into massively shields are good shields are good i've heard today from minty so uh maybe i'll have an update on that uh, next week i've also played considerably more of um shakira hips lie twice (laughs) which is absolutely stunning i mean it is it is brilliant it is absolutely brilliant um i've kind of reached my first roadblock boss uh which is i mean i must have had a good dozen attempts at him so far and i've got fairly far i've got to kind of the last third of uh, the fight but yeah it's one of those classic dark soul style it just needs practice and the more i do it the better i'm getting the further i'm getting so hopefully i'll uh, I'll, I'll you know tick that one off well keep it up man you can do it thanks pal I also got Yoshi's Crafted World uh, after really enjoying the demo. It was absolutely adorable. Lovely demo. Bought the game. Really boring. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Whilst it is absolutely adorable and beautiful to look at, it is incredibly slow and very, very easy. If you're focusing on playing the game, you're not really looking at the surroundings. And if you're just looking at the surroundings, you're not actually playing the game so all in all it was just a really unfulfilling experience on a really quick side note to that did you ever play yoshi's story on the n64 no because that was kind of the the first one where suddenly yoshi games were just very very easy and all about just walking around and finding fruit so i, th- I think they've kind of they've essentially just carried on with that kind of track yeah but i think they've kind of gone almost mario is the, the more hardcore platform game now absolutely i mean i was totally expecting that sort of well, maybe even not quite that level of difficulty but some, somewhere near that at least but it's i mean mm. you know i don't say this because of the aesthetics because i love the aesthetics but it really is a game for children a game for babies uh, probably yeah so I, I traded that in the next day i <laughs> then i saw that sega had released their latest sega ages game which was alex kid in miracle world which was my 80 something favorite 90 something, 90 something 98 <laughs> my 96th favorite video game i don't know check out the previous episodes first person to tell us which 90 it was gets a free t-shirt <laughs> not an r3 cents one just one from one of our wardrobes it was a great great trip down memory lane i mean it's such a floaty slippery platformer that it's mm. an absolute nightmare to play but fortunately they put in a feature so that you can rewind five seconds at any point as much as you like which offsets all of that kind of inaccuracy and made me actually enjoy playing (laughs) did you beat it i did yes is that the first time you've beaten it fully yeah absolutely yeah totally so that was really nice it's a weird story (laughs) and and, and to be honest some really poor grammar in some of the dialogue so uh, they have fixed the the ridiculously unfair rock paper scissors boss fights 
with a very subtle hint system. How does that work? I see you smiling. Is it that subtle? I don't know. I spotted it and thought, oh, so obviously the game is is formatted four by three for old TVs. So uh, when you play the game, it's set within a, a frame and it's sort of stylized like a like a film strip. And in the sprockets, uh, the sprocket holes above and below, there's the little rock, paper, scissors designs, which I thought, oh, that's quite nice. That's, you know, that's in keeping with the theme. And I thought to myself, I thought, wouldn't it be clever if actually what they'd done is put the rock, paper, scissors choices that you need to make to beat the bosses in the sprocket holes? Turns out that's exactly what they've done. Amazing. Mm. Ah. So that was good fun. Then I <laughs> played more games. I got <laughs> Salt and Sanctuary on Switch, which is a 2D platform action role-playing game. It is unashamedly inspired by Dark Souls, which Dead Cells is sort of quite open in its influence from Dark Souls as well, but it doesn't... Salt and Sanctuary, I don't think, works anywhere near as well as Dead Cells. Whereas Dead Cells sort of takes the essence of Dark Souls and transforms it into something new that works for the 2D setup. Salt and Sanctuary doesn't have that kind of awareness to really make it fun. It's just kind of miserable uh, and hard (laughs) and confusing because, because there's no map system Whereas something like that works fine in Dark Souls because it's in 3D and you can sort of see, you know, sort of landmarks and get your sense of where you are in a 3D sort of perspective. In a 2D hand-drawn world, it's oh, it's just a bit of a nightmare. The other game I've been playing is I got early access to Elder Scrolls Blades on uh, my iPhone. Oh, hello. And that is really good fun. Quite impressed that they, they haven't tried to condense Skyrim into a... A mobile form instead it is is very very much a mobile game which has all the pluses and negatives of that are we talking energy timers and microtransactions there's certainly microtransactions so the way it works is you've got a hub which is your city which you're slowly rebuilding so it's got that sort of element <laughs> uh, yeah but it's, it's really nicely personable and you can, you can you can choose what buildings go where and you can upgrade certain buildings and you can put houses and dwellings and craft decorations to go in various places and, and really make it feel like it's it's your own town which is, which is really nice so that's your hub world and then you get quests and you go off on they're very linear quests so it's not open world at all there's a start and a finish with some you know objectives in between and then you'll find treasure chests and you'll find some items or whatever get experience get stronger and uh, basically rinse and repeat and there is a story that sort of runs through it there's also a fairly sort of arcadey endless mode called the abyss where you just keep going for as long as you can the freemium style stuff comes when you can spend gems <laughs> to speed processes up if you're crafting or building and also chests take time to unlock so like a wooden chest will open in five seconds not a problem. Not a problem. Silver chests, three hours. Oh. Wow. Woe betide, you get a gold chest and want to carry ten on playing. Ten years. It is ten, it's actually ten years. No, six hours. <laughs> but you can only hold X amount of treasure chests at one time. They are heavy. Unless you obviously spend gems to upgrade your capacity <laughs> for holding chests. So it's very much a mobile game. Yeah. But it is really good fun to play. And the fact that you, you can actually play it in landscape mode or in portrait mode is very, very nice. So you can play it with one hand. Oh, I've been playing The Witness. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> a, a game that I have, you know, no opinion on. You're having a wonderful time with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've done a few puzzles and yeah, it's just really nice. I very much look forward to weekly updates on your progress mm. and, uh, and seeing how, how the experience evolves for you.
So, let us move on to the rankings, starting this week with Minty's game. This game is in my top 100 because it's an enjoyable little romp into a familiar world via unfamiliar means. Because it fleshes out the lives and the ecology of what are essentially fairly shallow tools in the other games that they've appeared in. And because I want there to be a freaking gosh darn sequel, Pokemon Snap. Oh, lovely game. What a fantastic game. And yes, gosh, why is there not a sequel? I've wanted this for... I was really annoyed when they put in the photo functionality into Pokemon Sun and Moon because I was like, that's not what I want. I want another Pokemon Snap game. It was great. It was the first time you really saw the Pokemon world alive. And that was very exciting in an interactive form. So you play as Todd Snap. An example of uh, nominative determinism there. Yeah, yeah. So you play as Todd Snap, who is tasked by <laughs> Professor Oak to go and take photos of Pokemon in various biomes. Love a biome. Across a conveniently diverse island. He scores your photos, and depending on how many points you get, you can either unlock new stages or perhaps unlock new tools to help you reach those new stages, such as the uh, the apple oh, yeah. or the stinky ball. <laughs> Your journey culminates with you on some cloud trying to take a photo of Mew, who was, of course, the mythical Pokemon. But they missed a trick on when, when you think about it because the final stage should have been in a scrapyard, right? And you can only find Mew when you move a pickup truck. Uh, <laughs> using a, a Rhyhorn. Oh, yeah. With yeah. strength. That's a very niche reference to the mm-hmm. fact that in Pokemon Red and Blue, if you skipped the SSN and you acquired Surf and came back, you could surf off to the side of the SSN area where there was a pickup truck just parked, a delivery truck, just a, a, just a harmless little additional detail. However, in the Pokedex entry for the Pokemon Rhyhorn, it mentions that his strength is enough to move a truck and us mad conspiracy theorists thought that if you gave a Rhyhorn strength, that it would be able to move that truck. And that was how you found Mew, which, of course, was entirely true. <laughs> 100% cold hard truth. So my local blockbuster had five N64 games. One was Mario Kart 64, and the other four were good. So I won't name them until we get to them in my list. Oh, spoilers. But I used to rent Pokemon Snap every school holiday, and I was just glued for it for hours on end. For such a short game, because I think there were only six stages, it had a remarkable level of replayability with a fairly sort of nebulous scoring system. So I'd really try to squeeze out the most points that I could in every stage. And really, you know, get Oak hot under the collar with my <laughs> pure white, just about to die electrode. He's like, oh, it's exploding. 10,000 points. <laughs> In that way that he did. But most of all, I just enjoyed watching Pokemon do what Pokemon do in their natural habitat. The ended up being a little bit more interesting than just wait for a little boy to hurt and imprison me. (laughs) (laughs) So going back to what you said about Pokemon Sun and Moon with the uh, camera where you could see a Pokemon sort of, I don't know, poke out of a hole or fly Mm. fly around a rock. I remember that was a really fun feature. I really liked that, even if it was very limited in what the Pokemon were actually doing, like maybe poking the head out of a hole or flying around a rock. It still gave me hope that Nintendo remembered that they made a Pokemon Snap game. So if you're listening, Nintendo, make a sequel. The photo stuff was nice in Sun and Moon. 
And I know you remember this game exists. Labo VR. It's going to happen. Yes. So I remember when they showed very briefly a camera Labo setup and thinking that actually maybe, maybe this will be a... uh, uh, there could be a new Pokemon Snap game. It should be just great. And with VR as well, that would be so good. Mm. I think, come on, Nintendo. It's what we all want. Like Minty says, you know you remember it. Yeah. <laughs> there we have it. Pokemon Snap. Wonderful game. Lovely game. Moving on, we have my game. So here's a question. How many video game franchises can you name that have different games in them of totally different genres? Different genres? Well, Mario. Well, I was thinking, yeah, Mario has got obviously Mario games, but then you've also got all the sports games and stuff and and everything. You've got the RPGs. Yep. Final Fantasy, you've got the classic JRPGs, and then you've got Tactics, which are more strategy. Mm. Pokemon, though, because obviously we just said about uh, like rail shooting Pokemon Snap. You had, um, was it Pokemon Dash on the DS? It was like a racing game. There was, there was like match three puzzlers, like Pokemon Link. Crash Bandicoot, platformer, Crash Theme Racing. And Party in a, in a Crash Bash, I think it was called. Diddy Kong Racing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously what we've named there are all enormous franchises that absolutely have the, the money, the history to kind of support these tangential branches in their computer game universes. My choice for my 82nd game is an example of... A similar type of game but it's a rarity because it's an indie game oh. and indie games wouldn't usually take a risk like this my game is a game in the steam world universe and it is imogen forms steam world heist i believed that would be the case imogen form are an independent game studio that were famous for i think the very first game they made was a steam world tower defense game it had limited appeal and success and then they really kind of hit it big or should I say they really hit it dig with... No, I won't say that. <laughs> um, they really kind of hit it big with SteamWorld Dig, which was a essentially a, a Metroidvania-styled, slightly roguelike exploration action game. You mine down different stages, attack enemies, get gems, upgrade your weapons, get to harder areas, rinse and repeat, and had a really, really nice design, nice sort of world, a fairly decent amount of lore. I think that everybody expected after that success for the studio to go, okay, cool, let's do SteamWorld Dig 2, let's do SteamWorld Dig 3, and keep mining this uh, for as as much as we can. However, that's not what they did. They went, okay, right, so we've got this Steam World, as it were, and they decided to, instead of releasing a sequel, take a big old risk and go, yep, we're going to release another game in the SteamWorld universe, but that is a totally different game, a different genre, and that is where SteamWorld Heist came out. SteamWorld Heist is a strategy game. It's a sort of turn-based strategy. The easiest comparison I can find is it's essentially a 2D XCOM, whereby you have a team of characters, different abilities, and you can move them a certain amount, and you can take cover, or you can go in all guns blazing, and you've got to try and outwit and outsmart you know, the enemies to kill all of them, get the loot, get out, go home, upgrade. Great fun. Now, I've never really been one for strategy games, certainly not real-time strategy games. They really stress me out. And often trying to think strategically just makes me anxious. When I got SteamWorld Heist, I got it on the 3DS and I was like, you know, I had a really good time for the first few levels. But then when it started getting a bit harder, I started a bit like, oh, you know what? I just don't know if I can be 
I don't know if I can really sort of think my way around this and I just kind of want something I can, you know, play over and over again and just get better at it like that rather than actually having to use my brain, God forbid. (laughs) But I did decide to rebuy it when it came out on the Switch because one evening I just found myself hankering for some some heisting and (laughs) uh, I remembered the game and thought "Ah, that was was quite good. I think I would like to play that. The appeal of having, you know, lovely HD graphics and a bigger screen to play it on I think was uh, was yeah had the appeal that uh, that I needed to to revisit it, and I must say I had a fantastic time. I'm not sure whether or not just you know my personality had changed since the first time I tried to play it, or I had more patience, or I simply was thinking more strategically about many things in life. I don't know, but I had a wonderful time. And I played through all of it and the elements that I found tricky. I would try new strategies and new combinations of characters and really satisfying to play. It was quite simple in terms of its mechanics. You didn't have the huge, ridiculously convoluted battle system of something like Xenoblade. (laughs) It allowed you to think very strategically using very simple tools. So it made it easier to think strategically because you didn't have to go, right, okay, well, you didn't have to change a million things to try a different tactic. Like I said before, with SteamWorld Dig, it has it's a really lovely world. I mean, I love a bit of steampunk. I love a bit of steampunk. And these robots were full of personality, lovely design, witty dialogue, hints at wider and deeper lore, which was very nice. Fantastic game. And, and I'm very, very excited that the next game that they've announced is SteamWorld Quest, which is going to be a card-based RPG. Again, going in a totally different direction, genre-wise, and I'm sure that it will add, you know, a whole other level of lore to this Ooh, rich universe. Lore. Rich lore. <laughs> did you play um, SteamWorld Dig 2? I did. Was that good? I didn't play it. I played the first one, but not the second. The second one was great. It was, yeah, it was very much a sequel. It made all the stuff better that worked well in the first one, added some mm. new features that also worked well. It wasn't a revolutionary game because it was obviously built around an original game with quite a simple concept and i think they absolutely made the right choice in releasing steamworld heist first because steamworld dig 2 would have i think would have been fairly glossed over if that had been the, mm. the next game they made but yeah good game and I, I i would like it if they released another steamworld heist game in years to come because i think that it's a fantastic format and i think that i'd love to see love to see more of it Chris, please, can you round this episode off with your 82nd favourite video game? My 82nd favourite video game of all time. I want to give kind of a bit of a lead-in context to it because I think this says a lot about how I approach choosing games to play, which might have come through in the way that however many episodes ago I was desperate to start Portal 2 and it's still sealed on the shelf (laughs) because everything I do is always like just jumping tangentially thing to thing. Last summer, when I was off from school, I picked up my 3DS looked through the drawer games and thought like, what am I going to play? And I picked out um, Final Fantasy Theatre Rhythm, Curtain Call. Ah, yeah. And it's a really good sort of rhythm game. If people haven't played it before, it basically, it's kind of a hybrid rhythm game RPG mix that collects music from across the entire Final Fantasy series and some of its sort of spin-offs and offshoots and things. And it's really fun. So I played that for a little bit. And then kind of halfway through, I started thinking, I'm sure there was a Dragon Quest version of, of Theatre Rhythm as well. Like I remember reading or hearing about it or something. So I did some research and found that, yeah, there was a, a, a Dragon Quest version that came out uh, only in Japan. We never got, but for the 3DS. And because my 3DS was already kind of like, had a bit of jiggery pokery, it could play region-free stuff. So I thought, oh, I'll import it and have a go at that. 
bought it a couple weeks later, received it from eBay, played that a bit. And then halfway through, I thought, have I ever played a Dragon Quest game? Like, what is the benefit of me playing this game that's like a huge tribute to this long-running series when I've literally never picked up a Dragon Quest game for any platform? So at that point, I was like, right, well, the next thing I need to play is obviously going to be a, a Dragon Quest game. Like, I'm not allowed to play through this, which is like a celebration of a game's history without at least knowing what the source material is. So I looked into ways of, of playing the original, and my 82nd favorite game is the original Dragon Quest, or Dragon Warrior, as it was in the US when it came out. Wow. It's basically, it's, it's the beginning of the JRPG, this, this one title. And the, the first way I played it, I, I picked it up, uh, or played a ROM of it on the Game Boy Color. Okay. The Game Boy Color got a, kind of like a streamlined port of... Dragon Quest and its sequel where it kind of smoothed over a lot of the stuff that people had originally sort of complained about because the original came out in I think 1986 on the NES so obviously because because it started you know essentially the origins of the JRPG there's there's things it did that we have moved away from or or changed or smoothed out or made a bit more streamlined in, in the ensuing years so I thought okay we'll give that a go and see how it is so it's Basically, it fixes stuff like the amount of grinding that was required in the, in the NES version. The interface is tidied up a bit. It's kind of better signposted to know where you need to go and things like that. And once I started playing it, I played it and beat it really quite quickly for me for kind of like an RPG that I struggle to generally put time into. And it probably took maybe like 15 hours to beat the, the Game Boy Color version. And at the end, rather than saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to play the second one now because it's on the same ROM, it's on the same cartridge kind of thing. I thought, oh, I'm going to play the NES version. I'm going to play the NES one as well and see what that's like. Because enough is kind of different with it that the Game Boy Color one, because of the limitations of the screen and things, strips out a lot of the character that the original had, that it's kind of written in a weird, almost oldie English style, like the NES version, <laughs> yeah. uh, that doesn't always work. And it's it's really kind of like overwrought. That's how you know it's fantasy, though. Because it is. It's basically based on that kind of medieval fantasy style kind of thing. Exactly. How do you know if it's a fact that it's a fantasy game unless they speak in iambic pentameter? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Back to back then, I beat it on the Game Boy Color and then I immediately beat the whole thing on the NES and that, that version probably took 30 hours and I, I don't know where I found that time to do it and I don't know what possessed me to kind of do essentially the same game twice back to back. But what I found really remarkable about it is that even though it came out in 1986, it sets up so many of the, the kind of genre trademarks and staples that we still have now in, in modern JRPGs. It's the basic rid the world of evil, save the king's daughter kind of story which has popped up hundreds if not thousands of times since the overworld and the dungeons and everything is full of random encounters battle system is is turn-based so you know you're, you're selecting an attack and you're, you're responding to the enemy in front of you uh, like we said it's got this kind of medieval fantasy sort of setting your character levels up through a basic experience system you upgrade your gear via little like merchants and shopkeepers in towns and it's just really really fun it's it's a really simple rpg but it is really really fun when i finished the nes one part of me was obviously thinking okay i've, I've had enough of dragon quest but i'll do something else but another part of me was thinking, I could just play the SNES version now. <laughs> like, let's just do three versions. Let's just see the differences in that as well. Because there was something I found really satisfying about how it is just a really straightforward RPG. And it kind of had none of the excess or bloat that some games do now. Like you mentioned about like the battle system in um, Xenoblade. Yeah. There's kind of there's so much to it, which is fantastic if you've got the time to really harness that and, and live it kind of thing, really, really breathe that sort of experience. But I, I really enjoyed just the walking up and down, grinding in dungeons till my character was kind of, you know, strong enough to move on to the next stage or whatever. And it's it's similar to when Minty was saying about uh, New Super Mario Brothers U being sort of a bread and butter platform game. I, I think Dragon Quest, or at least at the beginning of the series, is like a bread and butter RPG. It's it's really, really simple. It's really quick. It's wholesome. It's engaging. It's all these kind of positive things that we want in games. And when I first started playing it off the back of obviously wanting to play a rhythm game, largely unconnected, 
I never expected to kind of enjoy it as much as I did. And I'd, I'd say for people that had not played any JRPGs or people who wanted to kind of get back into or, or start that sort of genre, I think this is a really good beginning point mm. because even compared to Final Fantasy, which obviously came out on the NES a similar sort of time, I think to play the original, especially in its, its NES form, it's quite oblique. There's times when you really are not signposted that well as to what you're supposed to be doing or where you're supposed to be going. And I think Dragon Quest is generally pretty hassle-free. It's a really strong JRPG. And like I mentioned, most of its challenge is just this idea that you, you're just going to level yourself up gradually as you go. And that's kind of bore out in the game as well, that when you are killed, rather than kind of losing progress, you just lose some of your money and then you're taken back to kind of the hub world or, or the main kind of castle. But you don't lose any progress. And I think the whole game is set up in a way that it's about attrition in a sense, that you're, you're just fighting and fighting till you naturally get better. But yeah, it's, it's really good. Have, have either of you played it, the original? I have not played any Dragon Quest game apart from Dragon, Monsters. War- Dragon Warrior Monsters, yeah. I played um, Dragon Quest VI, Realms of Reverie, when it came out on the DS. Okay. I got quite far, but I stopped playing once there was like a roadblock mm. where you had to have collected stylish pieces of clothing and armor, and I just hadn't because I was just gunning for getting everything killed as soon as possible so. <laughs> i would say because you've been doing your emulation stuff minty mm. I, I would give it a go because you can get a an english translation of the japanese snes release which basically just puts the nes text into the snes version okay and because i know, I know you're big into rpgs anyway I, I think you'd probably quite enjoy it well that wraps it up for another week another trio of games first of all we had Pokemon snafe then we had Steamworld Heist and finally we had Dragon Quest if you've enjoyed this episode or indeed if you've enjoyed any of the episode please do like us share us subscribe to the podcast for starters I mean gosh darn leave us a review five star preferable but please do give us any feedback you can find us on Facebook if you search for Our Three Cents you can join in all of the discussions that we have going on there if you want to reach out to us individually or ask us any questions that you'd like us to discuss in future episodes I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I'm on Twitter at Chaz underscore Hodges. I have a Twitter, but I'm not really on it. At Minty Booth. And please do join us next week for our 81s. For 81s. Our 81th. 81ths. For 81ths in your life. <laughs> <laughs>